In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated, and good morning. We're going to be in our Old Testament lesson, uh, talking about Samuel mostly this morning. So if you want to have that open in front of you. And I'm really excited because when we get, I know this seems a long way off, but it'll be here before we, we know it. Uh, when we get to ordinary time, uh, our Old Testament lessons are going to take us through uh, the rise of the monarchy in Israel and, and the various kings. And so that's going to be some exciting stuff and maybe stuff we're not that familiar with that we'll be able to dive into uh, during the summer. So a little taste of that this morning, perhaps. Scripture is full of these editorial comments, so to speak. Uh, some are commendations. They're saying, uh, the author is saying a good thing uh, about the person. For example, Job. Uh, scripture says of Job that Job was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Uh, scripture says of Noah more than once, I believe, uh, and this would be a great goal for all of us if, if God were to comment about our lives. It says, and Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him to do. Noah did everything that the Lord commanded, us, commanded him to do. Uh, some of the um, editorial comments are not commendations, but condemnations. Uh, Ahab, Jezebel. Okay, so, so Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Some of the editorial comments are funny. Uh, at least I find them funny. Uh, and, you know, Casey, my wife, has been uh, so patient, and she's asked me uh, on more than one occasion, when is your sense of humor ever going to evolve beyond that of a middle school boy? And I think 13 years in, uh, she's finding that the answer is never. But there's some funny comments in there. I mean, do you remember Leah, the first wife of Jacob, daughter of Laban? I mean, Scripture essentially says she's ugly. He's like, yeah, something was messed up with her eyes. Jacob didn't want to be with her. One of the, you know, the hot young things, so to speak. One of Rachel worked seven years. And so Laban had to trick Jacob. He had to pull the old switcheroo just to marry her off. Uh, and Jacob doesn't realize he's married uh, to the wrong woman until the morning after, so he must have been really partying hard at the reception. Um, I mean, I'll move on from this, but how do you cope with, how do you get past, Jonathan, uh, <laughs> this is rhetorical, if the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God says you're just not that attractive? And on the other hand, I mean, how would your ego not just be huge if you're Joseph? Because the Bible says of Joseph that he was handsome in form and appearance. So nice face and chiseled, probably. Scripture says this of Samuel. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, Samuel was a very important figure in Israel's history. He, he played a crucial role in this transition from the period of the judges uh, to the establishment of the monarchy. I mean, he served as a priest. Of course, he was a prophet. He served as, as a judge, a sort of ruler uh, in Israel. It is the prophet Samuel, if you remember, that anointed King David at Bethlehem. 
Samuel's mother, Hannah, had been barren. She couldn't have children, and, and she was devastated. I mean, so much so, one year they go up uh, to Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was, this, this portable temple. And she's so distraught, and she, she's praying, so, she's so distraught that the priest Eli thinks she's drunk. She makes this vow to the Lord, essentially, Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. So Eli prays with her, commends, says, may the Lord grant you your request, and he does. And she gives birth to Samuel, and she keeps her vow. And as soon as Samuel was weaned, she goes to Eli and entrusts her baby boy, her toddler, to Eli. I mean, what was Eli's reaction to that? I mean, love you guys, love your kids. Don't go giving me your kid. So Samuel lives at the tabernacle, ministering to the Lord, serving as a sort of acolyte, if you will. So Samuel was but a boy when the Lord called him, when the, particularly when the Lord called him to prophetic ministry. And this is a profound reminder when we look at the life of Samuel that God can and does work through children. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, not keep them away until they're, they're 18. I mean, uh, Joash, or in some of your Bibles it might say uh, Yehoash or uh, Joaz, depending on how it's transliterated, he was seven years old. He was seven years old when he became the king of Judah. God is at work in the lives of children changing them and transforming them and even them giving them a ministry. And even, and even before that, I mean, John the Baptist, he wasn't even born yet. He was in utero, in the womb, and he hears the voice of Mary, and he leaps for joy. So what we, we see in the visitation is St. John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ, both in the womb, communing one with another, the former offering worship, and the latter receiving it. Thus, in and from conception, God is at work. Listen again to today's psalm. For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Your works are wonderful and I know it well. My body was not hidden from you while I was being made in secret and woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my limbs, yet unfinished in the womb. All of them were written in your book. They were fashioned day by day, when as yet there was none of them. Every child in the womb is one whom God made, and one for whom Christ died, and one in whom God is at work. Uh, one of the most um, common objections slash questions that I get from people uh, coming into the Anglican tradition is regarding the baptism of infants. And there's a lot of different ways to approach that conversation. I think there's a lot of scripture. You can make great arguments. You can, of course, refer to the practice of the ancient church. But if I'm feeling froggy, and I usually am, uh, I just go for the jugular uh, with a series of questions. And 
I'll ask them something like this. Do you love your baby? What? Does your baby love you? Do you know your baby? Does your baby know you? Of course, all the answers are yes. There's relationship there. I've never had a baby, but women tell me that even in utero, there's a bond and a relationship, and they, they know voices. But then I would ask, so would you say that you're capable of having a relationship with your baby, but the God of the universe isn't? Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. From conception to death, God is calling us unto himself and unto vocation, unto ministry. From conception to death. So if you're here or if you're listening online and you're no spring chicken, and I'll let you decide whether or not you're no spring chicken, but I want you to know God's not done with you. God is at work in you. God's calling you. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to leave Haran. Moses was 80, up there with his brother Aaron, who was 83, before Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. His life was almost over when he got to do the thing that God made him to do. And, there, and it's not just um, spiritually, it's holistically, all of life. You know, I have friends that, you know, looking at 40, they act like their life's over. Um, for you philosophy nerds, uh, if you've ever heard of Immanuel Kant, he wrote a book, Critique of Pure Reason, which changed, um, I don't, you know, I don't agree with anything everyone says, but for better or for worse, it changed the philosophical and in many ways theological landscape of the, the intellectual world. He was 79 when he wrote that book. 79. I was, um, you know, everything's different in COVID. I'm, I'm even sick of that caveat. But th there was a series of summer races uh, out in Claremont. They did all kinds of running and biking events and, and triathlons. And I was out there one time competing in this foot race and uh, was watching the triathlon, and there was a guy competing in it, 90 years old. So he's swimming like a quarter of a mile, biking like 10 or 12 miles, and then running a 5K. And he's swimming like not in a pool where someone can throw him, you know, a life raft, or he can grab onto the side. He's out, he's out way out in this lake. And he, and he runs and he finishes it. And everybody, it was an incredible thing. You haven't peaked yet. And that's, spiritually, that's absolutely true. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. The Lord, from conception to death, he's ever calling us to deeper union with himself. And he, he's calling us to be the best version of ourselves, to be that which he made us to be as human beings. And he's calling us to a ministry, to serve God and his church. And when God calls us, 
when we receive our callings, because there's all different kinds of, of callings. God calls us in various and sundry ways. Our response is to be that of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel's response, maybe you notice this, to me it's reminiscent of Mary's response. Behold the, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. There's, there's surrender, there's total surrender and submission to the will of God. And although Samuel's response was, you could say, well, Eli told him to say that, and he, and he did, I think we can see something of the genuineness of his response uh, in that uh, the courage it took for him to proclaim his first prophecy. I mean, he had to go to the man that raised him. He had to go to a very powerful man, a high priest in all of Israel, and say, you've sinned gravely, and you're out. You and your progeny are out. He does this as a young boy. God is using him. So God is calling us. He's at work in us, prenatal to postmortem. And our response to his call or calling is to be immediate and total. But how do we discern the voice of God? How, how do we know he's calling us to do something? And it's not, you know, bad Chinese food from the night before. Or, or great Chinese food from the night before, depending on how you look at it. We hear the voice of God by being close to him. Listen, 1 Samuel 3.3. 3. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The young Samuel is sleeping in this portable temple. This is not Solomon's temple. This is years before that's built. This is the tabernacle. It's at Shiloh. It's this mobile tent temple constructed in the time of Moses. So, so he's lying down. And the Bible says that he's near the ark of God. I mean, he certainly wasn't like in the holy of holies, but perhaps, I don't know, he was right on the other side of the veil. And, and the ark of the covenant was where God's manifest presence dwelt. He's seated upon the cherubim, or the two cherubim. We've all seen Indiana Jones. Two cherubim on top of the ark. God's throne, and then the, the base, and then the, the, the lid of the ark is God's footstool. He's seated upon the cherubim, and the ark is his footstool. And the place where God dwells, that's what a temple is, the dwelling place for deity, but the place where God dwells can properly be called heaven. So, we hear God speaking by drawing close to him, by bringing ourselves to the intersection of heaven and earth. Today's colic, grant that thy people illumined by thy word and sacraments. Word and sacraments, the word. God speaks in and through Holy Scripture. Heaven and earth come together in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. We draw near to the very throne of God and receive the most precious body and blood of Jesus. In addition, as we 
as in Scripture and in the life of the church, as we come to better know the voice of the Lord, to truly in practice become one of his sheep so that we know the voice of the shepherd, that enables us to better discern his callings that come through other people, that come through circumstances, that come through what should be a well-formed conscience. In today's gospel, Jesus calls Philip as a disciple. He says, follow me. And Philip goes and finds Nathanael and tells him that, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And at first, Nathaniel's skeptical. What does he say? The famous question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why does he say that? Well, Nazareth was a Roman garrison. And so the, the Jews despised it because they had this perpetual sign, this perpetual reminder that they were oppressed by the Romans, that they were under the thumb of Caesar, that they were back in their land, but they weren't free. Nazareth was also what we might call, what we call in the south, a, a podunk town. It was very small. At the most, 500 people, but it could have been as, as few, archaeologists say that it could have been as few as 75. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus, as he approaches, he says, he says this of Nathanael. Behold an Israelite in whom is no guile. If there was a chapter in Scripture which covered your life, what would you want the editorial comment to be? That of Eli or that of Samuel? That, that of Ahab or that of Nathaniel? One who said no to God or one who said yes? God is calling you to deeper union with himself, to be the person you were created to be, to be the best friend that you can be, to be the best husband that you can be, to be the best wife that you can be, to be the best parent. And he's calling you to ministry, to serve God and his church. So draw near to him so that you can hear his voice. Draw near to him in the Holy Scriptures. And parents, bring your children with you. A pro tip for parents, read your children's, children, read your children narratives. I mean, you can read them, you know, First Thessalonians or, or Romans, but the stories, and you teach them the basics, and they become acquainted with just what's in Scripture and, and what's the arc of the story. And there's so much that they can learn in that, but then God, God's Word is living and active. And so as, as parents, we, we hide the scriptures deep in the hearts of our children so that they might not sin against God and so they might know him and follow him all the days of their life. Again, think of Samuel. Think of 
Joash. Don't underestimate what God can do in someone's life at any stage. So draw near to God in Scripture. Draw near to God in the sacraments. And draw near to those who are near God. There's wisdom there. Draw near to those who are near God so that you too can be near God and and seek wisdom in, in a multitude of counselors. And as you're saturated in the life of the church and, and in the scriptures and you're, you're in these iron, uh, sharpening iron type relationships, you learn how to prayerfully discern the events and circumstances of your life. You develop a conscience. Conscience can lead us astray, but it, it's, a, it's a gift from God. It's a natural revelation. But when it's formed by uh, virtue and wisdom, It's a way in which God calls us up, again, to be the person that he created us to be. Draw near to him in all these various and sundry ways. Why? So that you can hear his voice. And when you hear it, may your surrender be total like that of Samuel. And may your obedience be immediate like that of the disciples. May you ever be ready to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.